This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The Securities and Exchange Commission has a longstanding policy of effectively silencing everyone who settles with them. It has big implications for freedom of speech and for petitioning the government for a redress of grievances. The Cato Institute and others have filed a brief in a court challenge to the rule. Cato's Jennifer Shelp and Will Yateman discuss the challenge. Well, since 1972, for 50 years now, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, has had this rule on the books um, that in essence prohibits any party that settles any enforcement action brought by the SEC, um, that prohibits these parties uh, from ever speaking uh, about their innocence, forever denying their guilt. Um, subsequent to the, the the settlement going into uh, going into effect, um, it's known as a gag order rule. Um, and again, this is applied. The SEC last year initiated 650 enforcement actions. Um, thousands of individuals have been subject to this gag order that you know compels silence. Um, one such individual, Barry Rommel got ensnared in a 2003 enforcement action by the SEC against the Xerox Corporation. Um, and to be clear, this was a novel uh, development in the law, that, that from 20 years ago. Uh, that is to say, um, the, the SEC, when they took on Xerox and ultimately Barry Rommel, was, was breaking new ground, new legal ground, and there wasn't necessarily notice uh, for Mr. Rommel and Xerox that they were in violation of the law. It's not as though they had run afoul of a long-held, well-known rule. Um, so he gets caught up in this. Rather than fight the allegations, rather than take on the weight of the government in this adversarial proceeding, Rommel decided to settle. He neither uh, confirmed or admitted nor denied his guilt and paid a substantial fine, about $4 million. And in the 16 years since, he's been unable to talk about his innocence. Um, and indeed, as a result of his experiences, he has recommendations for lawmakers about how to reform the SEC. But he's prohibited by this SEC gag order rule from petitioning Congress. Um, and after 16 years of this, of compelled silence, he brought suit um, in a federal district court in the Second Circuit, um, in essence saying that this consent decree was an unconstitutional infringement of his First Amendment rights. Uh, alas, the district court dismissed his complaint, and ultimately the Second Circuit affirmed. Um, and now he is seeking Supreme Court review. And... He's uh, being ably represented by the New Civil Liberties Alliance, and Cato actually participated in this case with a number of other nonprofits um, as an amicus. Jennifer, when the SEC effectively, and and we might not know exactly how many times they've done this, but or maybe we do, um, how does that kind of gag order, how does that change the ability of the SEC to regulate? Well, it insulates the SEC. And... So we don't know exactly, I don't know exactly how many times this has been done, but essentially in every settlement since 1972, this gag order has been put into place. And currently about 98% of actions that the SEC brings are settled. So almost every defendant that the SEC has brought an action against since 1972 is subject to this type of gag order. 
What this gag order does is insulate the SEC from criticism by the people that are closest to the SEC's enforcement process. Uh, these defendants can't criticize the SEC's findings. They can't say that they settled in order to avoid a long, drawn-out uh, enforcement action, even though they were innocent. And it prevents all of this information from being brought to light in the public. So that's a problem for the American people generally because they don't have the opportunity to hear what the SEC is doing. And it's a problem that's compounded because you can't bring this information up to Congress in order to help with SEC oversight and allow Congress to know where the SEC is abusing its enforcement authority or just using its enforcement authority in a way that Congress might not approve of. So really, this, this strikes at the heart of one of the reasons we have the First Amendment, which is to allow us to criticize the government. Here, there's thousands, probably tens of thousands of defendants who don't have that opportunity against the SEC. Will, I believe there is a specific part of the First Amendment. I mean, there's speech, there's uh, religion, uh, there's association, but there's petitioning the government for a redress of grievances. That seems to fit pretty squarely in here if these people aren't allowed to speak. So, you know, indeed, yes, you, you stated the case well, Counselor. Um, and I just want to echo something Jen said, that it's not just the ickiness here of the government stifling dissent um, in the name of, of protecting its, its putative integrity. There are policy ramifications. And, and you know, Mr. Romerol, the, the case at hand, presents an excellent example. He has firsthand knowledge of the SEC's enforcement process. He was an enforcement target of, of an in, innovative approach to uh, regulatory enforcement by the SEC. This is some 20 years ago. If the SEC can interpret the law broadly and then 98 percent of these cases get settled and then no, none of these regulated entities can subsequently talk about the SEC's legal strategy, then we've got this scenario whereby the agency can have its cake and eat it too, where you know it, it can sort of um, uh, get away with these uh, perhaps uh, 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 overbroad interpretations, uh, you know, these, these power grabs, if you will, because they can circumvent any judicial scrutiny. Not just judicial scrutiny, um, because these cases don't get litigated, because 98% of them get settled, but also public scrutiny. Um, you know, again, we, this is stifling dissent. This is stifling um, calls for reform, stifling attempts by um, regulated entities to petition Congress with their ideas. And, and, you know, frankly, given the black box nature of this settlement process, um, that's unacceptable. And I'd like to just throw in there, too, that it's not just a question of whether the SEC is insulating itself when it's making a power grab on an innovative strategy. It's also just the basics of treatment of defendants by the SEC and the ability that people have to speak out about their experiences. The SEC's gag orders here are pretty broad. Uh, they're pretty difficult to get around if you're a defendant who's concerned about breaking the court order to which he's agreed to. Um, and that's that's not a small thing. If the SEC brings an action here, there's an additional, an additional action that can be brought for 
violating the gag order. Some of the consequences of that can be being held in criminal contempt by the court. Um, so speaking your mind here is not just a question of saying something about the SEC and hoping they didn't hear you. It's a little bit of a concern about whether you end up in jail for violating these gag orders. So there, there's very serious concerns here that that run not just to speaking out against you know innovative um, legal strategies by the SEC, but just the basics of how a defendant was treated throughout the process that that don't go heard because of these gag orders. I was about to ask who benefits. Well, like if if they're in a when there are gag orders issued uh, re- related to like criminal trials that are ongoing uh, to try to prevent certain information from uh, coming out to uh, maybe taint a jury pool or something like that, you you can you at least understand what the reasoning might be, even if you disagree with it. But in in these cases, who benefits besides the SEC? <laughs> I'd say no one. Um, and I think the the criminal gag orders during cases that, that you're referring to are a good thing to think about when we're comparing the scope of the SEC gag order here. Uh, gag orders are something that can be put into place during proceedings. Um, they tend to be limited in scope, and they are always limited in time um, because of the importance of allowing people to speak and the the say the, the the disapproval we have of prior restraint on speech as a general matter. Here, these SEC gag orders are limited by nothing other than the ultimate death of the defendant. Um, Mr. Romerol has been subject to a gag order now for 16 years. 16 years when the case started, 19 years now. 19 yeah, years now. Um, which is far longer than he would have been subject to any sort of even criminal liability had he litigated this type of case. Um, it's amazing the breadth of these gag orders. And no, I, I don't think anyone benefits here other than the SEC. It is. Can I just echo Jen's great point? Um, so uh, this was made by the petitioners in, in, in when they asked the Supreme Court to review this case. Uh, that is Mr. Romerl. Um, so people convicted of treason, there is jurisprudence that forbids these sort of gag orders imposed upon them, um, which, which you know it gives you a comparative sense of sort of how ridiculous what the SEC is doing here. Um, I'll also speak to how the SEC is the only one that benefits. And in fact, you might say that the public is actually harmed here. Um, You know, remember, the SEC's entire purpose is to facilitate disclosure, um, is to facilitate transparency. You know, the sine qua non here is this belief that, um, you know, transparency is going to, you know, inform investors and allow these markets to operate more efficiently. Um, and indeed, the SEC enforce regularly brings enforcement actions against private companies that have settled for failing um, to disclose sufficient information within their settlement decree. So the upshot is the agency has actually recognized the public utility of uh, making this sort of information available. So. Uh, this is uh, actually a point that was brought up by a fantastic brief submitted by Mark Cuban and Elon Musk, um, among others, to this case. But it's not just that 
the SEC is the only one to benefit and there's no public effect. It's that the only purpose of this rule is to protect the SEC's putative integrity, and it actually harms the public's interest. Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Jennifer Shelp directs financial regulation studies at Cato. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 